Welcome to the Unconventional Dyad Podcast, where you'll find broad topics, an unconventional dyad, and one shared goal. Educating ourselves through challenging and engaging conversations. Your hosts are Carly and Laura, two graduate students and friends committed to having discussions that are real, raw, and unpolished. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 15 of the Unconventional Dyad podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the psychology internship process. So this is the second of a series that we're going to be doing on the psychology predoctoral internship process. So we hope that you find this helpful. If you are not a psychology student, if you are not in the process of applying to internships, this episode probably won't be all that useful or helpful to you. Um, But for those of you who are, we hope that you gain something from uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Do we want to maybe mention where we're at in the process individually, Carly? Sure. Yeah. So right now I have completed all of my applications. Everything has been sent in. And so I am just currently waiting to hear back from internship sites about interviews. So I'm right in that middle, um, right in the middle where I'm just kind of sitting and waiting yep. for the emails to come in about whether I get an interview or not. Yep. Yep. And how many sites did you apply to? I ended up applying to 12. So I started with 15 and then I just started filtering through a little bit more and I decided to apply to 12 sites. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ended up with 16 sites on my list. I was going to do 15 and then decided to add one last minute. Um, I'm done with most of the applications. I've submitted most of them, at least the ones that I'm most excited about. They're already in (laughs) those were I was going to get those out of the way right away. And then I have a few that I'm still uh, applying to maybe like three or four left that I need to finish. And those are due end of this month. And uh, in December, but the ones that I'm really crazy about are in. And so I think, yeah, we start hearing back about internship interviews, maybe in December, January. Yeah. I have a few sites that actually have interviews in November. So I have two sites that would potentially have interviews in November and the rest of them are in December and January. That's crazy. So when Mm -hmm. would you find out, when would you get the notice that you might or might not have an interview? I'm not sure. Um, I know that the notification date is actually later than what they say the interviews will start. So I'm not quite sure exactly how that's going to work. Um, But I do know that the latest that I would be hearing back will be December, end of December. So nice. That's exciting. From all of them. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting to have so many to have a couple at least that are you know, in, starting in November, because then you know, and you don't have to wait, and you don't have to mm-hmm. anticipate all of that. Yeah, there's a lot of anticipation now. Yes, there's a lot of anticipation. And I was hearing too, I think our training director mentioned that rejections come through first. So we're probably mm-hmm. going to get our rejections before we get our mm-hmm. invites to interview. Mm-hmm. I I find that a bit reassuring. I um, you kind of know, then, yeah, uh, because I mean, for me, there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of excitement. So being able to really kind of know where you stand with these sites, I think can be really helpful. And then you know where to put your energy and you know how to better prepare yourself for the interviews that you most likely will end up having once you know which ones you won't 
yes interviewing at so exactly yeah I feel the same so we have a few different topics that we wanted to talk about today one of them being just the application process in general I know both Laura and I had some pretty significant difficulties with the online portal and actually getting the applications submitted effectively. And um, I don't know, Laura, do you wanna maybe share some of your challenges that you've had with this process? Yes, so we use a universal application online through the APIC website and the API application, I've had a few challenges with. Um, Most notably when I was trying to put in my, I was trying to connect, so I was trying to connect my time to track, which is how I tracked all my clinical hours, all my practicum hours. I was trying to connect that to the universal application. And for some reason, when I, when I clicked the button to connect, it really just jumbled up all of my hours. And I'm not exactly sure how that happened. At one point, it was reporting less hours than I had put in. Then at another point, it was reporting double the hours I had put in. So I had like over 4,000 hours at one point. I was, of course, you know, having a little bit of a panic attack because I was trying to figure out how to how to delete some of those things and fix it. So I ended up having to basically delete everything in my time to track account, like go back through the three years that I wasted going into time to track and inputting these hours and deleting everything because for some reason it was just not transferring over properly. And then I went into the appy Uh, universal application and I ended up just manually entering in so I had saved my hours I had screenshotted all the hours on my computer and I manually entered them into the application so that was really time consuming for me and frustrating Mm -hmm. to be honest I spent so much time entering in all of those hours on time to track yep and the fact that it wasn't working for you, I would imagine that was just really frustrating and really anxiety provoking and probably shouldn't have happened. Yep. I actually spent the summer going back through my time to track to double check everything. And so I wasted, you know, all those hours going back into time to track and I ended up just not even using it. I would honestly say use time to track if it's helpful to you. Like people who are listening to this right now who are still in the process of getting practicum hours, use it if it's helpful for you to track, but don't feel like you have to use it because at the end of the day, you can just manually enter them. As long as you're keeping track of them somewhere, you can manually enter them into your application later on. So that's what I would have done differently, honestly. I think if I were to do it again, and I've been thinking a lot about this, time to track is expensive. Yes. And if I were to do this all over again I don't think I would have bought time to track and I actually bought a three-year subscription because it's a little bit cheaper if if you do more years and I go looking back I don't think I would have done that yeah in fact I um, ran a a a group for our, our school about learning how to use time to track and learning how to track your hours and I specifically told them it's not a requirement yep and I would think about if if you actually want to spend the money, if it's worth it to you. So there's two options. You don't have to use time to track if you don't want to. And I, going back, I don't think I would, I I don't think I would, I would spend the money to do it. I don't think I would either. Um, I think I would have just kept track of it on my own, maybe written it Mm -hmm. in a notebook or something. Because the other thing that I ran into is that when I was learning how to use time to track, I was told to designate one code 
to all clients who were similar. So for example, if I was working with a black woman in who would fall into the category of an older adult, I would just designate. So I would enter that individual into time to track and I would designate it as, for example, black female 65 plus so that I could enter that same if I was working with multiple black women over the age of 65 I could use that same individual each time I entered a therapy hour for example do not do that please if you're going to use time to track do not do that because then it underestimates the number of clients that you see so I would say if you're going to use time to track for each person that you see for therapy or for assessment create a new code for that person Mm -hmm. because the one thing that's really important that I think time to track could potentially do really well if you know how to use it is it keeps track of all your patient demographics, all the different kinds of settings you worked in. Um, so yeah, that was another issue I had is I had to go back in and basically try to remember who I worked with because I didn't have each individual entered separately. I had like a designated code for different types of individuals. So mm-hmm. That was rough. Yeah. Having to go through. And I know you and I have seen hundreds yeah, hundreds of, yeah. of patients. And I know for me, I think I have a total of 400 some patients that I've seen. So yep. I can't even imagine having to go through it and change all those. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up having, I think, close to 400. It was 300 mm-hmm. something. And that could even be wrong because I don't even know anymore because I used the wrong code so yeah Mm -hmm. just definitely if you're going to use time to track or if you're not going to use time to track keep track of every single person that you see and their demographics and all that for me I I was doing okay through time to track as I was going through the application but for some reason the portal was pulling the wrong documents for my cover letters and I don't exactly know what was going on but I ended up having to call technical support and they had to put it in manually yeah. And unfortunately, technical support sent the cover letters to the wrong site. <laughs> and the really, the really neat thing about the application, I'm going to pull it up here so I can actually be very clear about what to look at. Mm-hmm. So when you actually go in to the API application portal, you can go to check status. Mm-hmm. And after you go to check status, there's a download application function. And if you click on that, you can see everything that has been uh, submitted for that specific site. So what I ended up doing is there were 10 cover letters sent to the wrong sites. Wow. And so I can designate, okay, these sites are incorrect. Those cover letters have to be resubmitted. Yeah. And I actually had to do that several times. So seven were still incorrect once they fixed it, then three were still incorrect and then two. So I kept going into that check status Mm -hmm. and you can see everything that that site will have access to. And so if I were to do it again, I would make sure that everything that were that, that's required by that site is within that function, that check status function. Yep. You can see a cover letter. You can see what um, letters of recommendations have been submitted for that particular site. That's all on there. Mm-hmm. You can't actually see what your recommenders wrote for you, but you can see that it's been submitted for that particular site. Right. And you can also see any um, ancillary materials. So um, like a treatment plan or um, a redacted report, you can see all of that right in there. Mm-hmm. So you can make sure that each of those sites get the correct information. Yep. 
I I really appreciated that you shared that with me because I did that right away and double checked everything mm-hmm. once I submitted. Um, mm-hmm. So this was after you clicked submit, right? Like you had sent these off to these sites, the wrong yeah. cover letters and stuff. So when you contacted technical support, did they then have to contact that site and let them know what was going on? Um, so from what I know, and I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this because I think there were some issues with technical support when I was calling them. I think they only submit the materials once two letters of recommendations have been received for that particular site. Okay. But unfortunately, um, I did, I already had two letters of recommendations submitted. Mm -hmm. So they ended up submitting several incorrect cover letters through the application portal. So what it ended up doing and this was recommended to me by technical support. Mm -hmm. I emailed each of those training directors and I said, you know, just an FYI, you may have been given the the incorrect cover letters through the application portal. Here's the correct one. And I'm I'm really sorry for any inconvenience this may have caused you, but here's the correct one. If you can please uh, exchange Mm -hmm. this one for the incorrect ones that you've received. Did you get any responses from any of those people? In fact, I've gotten responses back from, I think, half or a little bit more than half. And I think other people have also had issues with this. They're like, you know what? This is not anything new to us. So wow. thank you for submitting the, you know, the correct cover letter. We'll make sure that, that we use this one. That's a relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a huge relief. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it's not a great feeling no. when I, I, I double checked and triple checked everything before I submitted it. And the fact that they may have received the wrong cover letters just was a really awful feeling I because just, I, I would never do that. Right. I, like I, I wouldn't submit something incorrectly like that. You were so. so careful. I remember you were so careful and you were telling me, like you had texted me, I'm double checking, I'm triple checking. So I knew you were doing that. And then to hear that they got the wrong, I don't even understand how that happens, how they get the wrong cover letter. That's crazy. It was, it, they have to go in and manually do it. Mm-hmm. So technical technical support. I sent technical support on my cover letters mm-hmm. and they ended up manually incorrect, incorrectly manually yes. entering into the portal. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And I yeah. think you had some issues too with um, the redacted report. Is that right? I did. Um, for some reason, the redactions weren't, not all of the redactions were showing up when I uploaded the document into the portal. Fortunately, I had gotten rid of all the, na- you know, all all the information, the sensitive information that needs to be gone. Mm-hmm. I got rid of all of that, but I changed all that sensitive information to like XXX. Mm-hmm. And then I put the, the redacted black on top of it. But for some reason, when I uploaded the document into the portal, some of the, the that black redaction was gone. Mm-hmm. And so I would just recommend everyone double checking, triple checking. Um, I would recommend just getting rid of all sensitive information. Don't leave any in the document um, because you can actually go through copy and paste. Even if the black is there, you can go and copy and paste and you can still see all that sensitive information. Right. So I would just recommend changing it right from the get go. And then when you upload it, just make sure that what you upload is what you want to actually submit. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Do we want to talk about cover letters and what that process was like writing those letters? Yeah. I really enjoyed writing the cover letters. Um, I'm not sure if other people have a similar experience than I do. <laughs> Laura, you're shaking your head. I hate it. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it for all the, all my sites, but 
I I got really excited about several of the sites that I'm applying to, and I really enjoyed writing about where I where I see myself in their program. Mm-hmm. And I my cover letters were pretty nuanced; they were very specific to the program, so it did take me a little bit more time than just um, copy and pasting from a different site. I, I I wrote them to fit with that specific program, so it did take me more time, but I found myself getting really excited about a few of those sites and I, I'm hoping that, that that came through the cover letter. I'm like, this is really great. I, I would love to, you know, be supervised by an, an analytically oriented mm-hmm. supervisor. Like this would be a really cool experience. So I, I really enjoyed writing most of my cover letters. I can't say that for all of them, but I certainly enjoyed it yeah for the most part I think I felt similarly in the sense that the cover letter allowed me to really deep dive into some of these sites brochures and I was also excited about what I was learning what I was reading so that part was really fun like looking at all their rotations and all their training offerings and all the supervisors that they have on staff that was really cool I think I just really disliked the actual act of writing the cover letters and the Mm -hmm. reason I I disliked it so much, I think, is because it's so difficult for me to even figure out, for example, how to demonstrate my excitement. I, I, I don't know how to make that come across on paper when I'm also trying to be professional, because there were so many sites where I just wanted to be like, I'm literally crazy about this site. Like, I, I would really love, you know, to and I tried to use some of those wording, but it was just difficult to to really convey my excitement Um, And then it was also difficult for me to figure out how to set myself apart from other people. Like a cover letter is a cover letter. And I don't personally find them super exciting to look at or to read. So I struggled a lot with how do I set myself apart? And why would these people want to continue reading this letter? You know? Yeah, I, I think for me... The, 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 the nuances that I put into the cover letters were maybe things that you don't see right away on their website, but if you dig a little bit, you can mm-hmm. find something that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. For example, um, one of the sites that I'm applying to is affiliated with a analytic uh, institute, a, psych- a psychoanalytic institute. And if you didn't dig for that, you probably wouldn't have mm-hmm. known that. And so that was something that was really exciting to me. And I would love to participate in events. And um, I, I just think it's really cool that they're affiliated with that with that um, psychoanalytic institute. And so I think being able to dig through the website, yeah. dig through the opportunities. I mean, it's great talking about what you want to do, what your theoretical orientation is, how that's going to fit with the program, but really finding things that are exciting yeah. and focus on that because most likely people aren't going to be writing about those kind of subtle subtle nuances that you can easily miss if you don't dig through the website right yeah I think that's really good advice definitely and I think that is one way that you can set yourself apart you can show them how Mm -hmm. diligent you were in looking through their their website and the information Mm -hmm. how are how's preparing for interviews Laura what's that been like for you I have started writing down, so our cleaning, uh, our clinic director provided us with a list of possible questions that we might get asked on these interviews. Um, 
and I've heard from you and from other people that, you know, some of those questions might not actually be asked. Uh, I think it probably depends on what site you go to. But I am looking through those questions that she provided. I also have a book on um, the predoctoral internship, and they have a few questions on there that they suggest you kind of prepare for. So my plan right now, and I could be doing this all wrong, but this is what makes me feel prepared, is basically writing out an answer to each one of those questions and reading it and rereading it and kind of practicing saying some of those things out loud. Um, I'm the kind of person who practices a presentation, you know, 10 times before doing it. Um, And really without any notes, because I want it to come out sounding natural. So the more I can practice talking through some of these questions, I think the better prepared I will be for the interviews. Mm It's so interesting because I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm the opposite, but I certainly, I think I approach presentations or interviews a little bit differently. I think when I practice too much, I can get really anxious and I won't, I won't necessarily remember, not, not anxious necessarily, but I won't remember what I wrote. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't have a very good memory. I can't really use, use that as a crush. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way that I am approaching these interviews is who I, who do I want to be in the interview? Do I want to be someone who's um, reflective? Do I want to be someone who's coming across as very engaged and excited, excitable and really being able to take the time to think about what I want to say? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, like you, Laura, I wrote out answers to all of that. And I did a practice interview with one of our faculty members yeah. yesterday. And I didn't remember anything I wrote down about any of those answers yeah so I just kind of I had to wing it because I couldn't remember but I personally I'm really okay with that I can trust that I won't say anything that I don't want to say but just being able to take the time and reflect on okay who do I want to be in this interview do I want to be someone who's reflective and who's able to kind of give a genuine answer? Do I want to be someone who has it right in the back of my mm-hmm. mind? I can just say it right mm-hmm. away. Definitely. No, I think that's really good advice too. I think for me, writing some of this stuff down is honestly a way to ease my own anxiety. It's not necessarily that I'm looking to memorize and regurgitate what I wrote. I think it just helps me work through some of those things. Like it's, it's you know, there's a difference between getting up in front of a class and giving a presentation by winging it and like never having looked at your slides. You know, you, you worked on your slides and you have them up there and you didn't look at them again. That makes me really nervous. And that's what this feels like to me if I were to go into these interviews, maybe looking over the questions and not really doing anything with them. For me, the act of writing those answers out and, and speaking them out loud, whether or not I remember exactly what I said, um, mm-hmm. it just helps me process uh, my thoughts on some of those those questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about one specific question I was asked. And I, Laura, I know that you also have an interview coming up with a practice interview. Yep. And so I'm going to be giving this away okay. a little bit. And I hope that's okay. That's but um, one of the questions, I, I guess, questions in general that have a sense of who are you? How do you describe yourself? I was just dumbfounded. I don't. And it was funny because I was like, you know, I'm a fourth year graduate, you know, psychology graduate student I live in (laughs) this city um and that's not an answer I want to give 
So being able to really think through what it is that you want people to know about you and how to get yourself to stand out in a, in a good way. You know, what, what are some of the unique things about you that set you apart from other people? Yeah. Um, I had no idea how to answer that question. I wasn't really expecting it all that much. I wasn't yeah. expecting it. It's such a big question. And especially when it's asked, like, who are you? Tell us about yourself. And that's mm-hmm. all you get. That's daunting. I mean, where do you even start, you know? And how do you make it, uh, how do you tie it into what you're trying to do, which is get this internship? Like, yeah, I don't want to just focus on I'm a fourth year graduate student and these are my, you know, interests in psychology, but that's also important to get across too. So yeah, that that balance is really difficult to strike. I think... I'm I'm certainly willing to take risks in interviews. I really have no problem doing that. I think looking back, I would have said something totally different in the practice yeah. interview. Um, I think this is really a time for you to take some risks. I mean, you know, obviously you want to still be professional, right. but really being able to share parts of yourself that aren't on your CV yep. that you didn't write about in the essays. I think that'd be a really great opportunity to do that, especially right on the get-go. Yep. The interviewer asks you right off the bat tell me about yourself Mm -hmm. (laughs) what a great opportunity to start off a conversation in a in a good way absolutely it's an opportunity to have a little fun with it and to have an interesting conversation interesting discussion about it um yeah just the Mm -hmm. thought of just saying like yeah I'm a graduate student and I really want to work with older adults like how boring you know I'm boring myself even thinking about that answer (laughs) Um, so I agree with you. I think I'm, I'm of the same mindset. I do want to take a few risks with some of these interviews. So Laura, when we, when we interview, we are also interviewing the sites and I'm wondering if you've thought through any questions that you would want to ask them specifically about the recent pandemics that we've been going through. Have you been thinking about what kind of questions you want to ask? Absolutely. One of the things that's really important to me is um, work-life balance and self-care. And I'm typically the kind of person who will always take on more than I need to, will always do more than is asked. I always describe myself as a really hardworking and driven person, and I think I am that way. But what I've learned over the course of this pandemic is that I can't keep going down that road because it's not sustainable. And so I'm really curious to know how internships make space for interns personal lives for interns personal issues for whatever they may be going through so you know I I heard one of the sites that I'm applying to does a four-day work week and that to me is like okay that's cool that's exciting that shows me that that site is mindful of the fact that interns are more than just interns they're human beings with lives and so I would want to ask questions about work-life balance about how mental wellness is promoted at the site, Mm -hmm. how self-care might be promoted at the site. Um, And I'm also kind of related to that question is the question of how are they dealing with the pandemic, with the COVID-19 pandemic? How are they dealing with um, the racism pandemic? People are being traumatized, you know, all over this country and people are dealing with things that they haven't had to deal with before. Um, on this large of a scale. So I would also be curious to know how internship sites are dealing with some of those things, how they're making space for healing um, 
so I'd really want to know, you know, are there plans in place for how to move forward during COVID-19? Are there plans in place for how to move forward um, during the, the racial tensions that we're experiencing? Um, mm-hmm. So those would be my two main questions. And then another question I have, and this is specific to one particular site, because I do really want to know if I'm a good fit for that site and if that site is a good fit for me. I'm applying to... So as some of the listeners may know, I've mentioned in other episodes that um, I'm spiritual, I identify as Christian, um, and that's, you know, important to me in my personal life. I don't necessarily want to become a Christian therapist, but I am curious about that and what that looks like. And there is one site that my training director encouraged me to apply to because she knows I have this faith background, and it's a Christian-focused uh, therapy program, and I was hesitant about applying to it simply because I consider myself a pretty progressive Christian and I might not necessarily line up with more traditional Christian values and so I was nervous about applying to a site that perhaps does um, really stick to those traditional values so I would want to ask that site specifically about some of their their views on certain issues, for example, LGBTQ rights issues. Um, And if those, you know, if that site's values align with my values, then I'd feel comfortable um, working at that site. I would feel comfortable with a more progressive view on some of that stuff. But if they're not as progressive as I might be, then I'm probably going to pull out of that site. I'm not going to continue pursuing that site. It's just really important to me that my values align with where I work. So those are some of the things I've been toying with in terms of how I might quote unquote interview the sites. What have you been thinking Mm -hmm. about? I think we share a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas and what we want to ask these sites. Another fear of mine is that the sites are going to have expectations for their Mm -hmm. interns. And um, I, I think that I, I mean, I'm sure that my letter writers have written really strong recommendations for me or else they wouldn't, I, or else they probably wouldn't have written yeah. them. And um, I feel like I've, I've written um, quite a lot about my interests and really my own high expectations for mm-hmm. myself. And I'm just, I really want to know what their expectations mm-hmm. are of interns. Because I think that we start to develop these fantasies of what, um, you know, what we're going to be like in those programs. The programs are going to start developing fantasies about what their interns are going to be. And I really want to know kind of where where I see myself in those sites. So being able to ask what the expectations are of their of their Mm -hmm. interns. No, I think that's such an important question. Yeah, I'm very curious about what they they see as an ideal maybe intern and I know nobody's ideal but I'm curious to know if you could have an ideal intern what would that person look like and I think that is really important to ask can we think of anything else that we want to share in this episode regarding the internship process I think I hit all the points that I wanted to cover today I think I did too I think the only other thing I would add is just that um I've been experiencing a lot of anxiety around this process. And I think probably Mm -hmm. a lot of other people who are going through it right now can relate to that. And I want to normalize that if we can in any way for people. Um, It's just a really uncertain 
process in and of its own. And it's also an uncertain time right now. And so I've just, yeah, really been struggling with, with some anxiety around this, um, this whole thing. So I'm hoping that anxiety will lessen over time, especially once I get my rejections and my uh, invitations to interview. I, I hope I'll feel a little better as time passes. But right now I'm in a place where I'm very uncertain and, and nervous. I certainly went through a phase, especially when those cover letters were getting sent to the yeah. wrong sites. I was really, really anxious. And I was really concerned that they were going to see me as someone mm-hmm. who isn't um, careful, that isn't, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And when I emailed the uh, training directors, which I really did not want to do, I did not want to be that person to email them. <laughs> I didn't think I would ever be the person to have to email them, yeah. but I did because I had to. And just the the support that they gave me, the the level of understanding, they're like, this happens all mm-hmm. the time. It's really okay. And we really look forward to seeing your application. I think my anxiety just went way yeah. down once I had some type of reassurance from them that this is, this process is really challenging. And that application process is, it is not streamlined no. despite whatever one, whatever anyone yeah. tells you it's, it's not easy. And there's a lot of glitches, at least in the new system they're using. Yeah. So I got a lot of reassurance from the training directors. That's, that's beautiful. Sites. And that I'm glad you got that because mm-hmm. that also gives you a little insight into what some of those training directors and what those sites might be like. I've actually heard from a mm-hmm. few people that training direct, some training directors, I'm not saying all, um, but some training directors really actually appreciate emails and questions before they even review your application. And I actually had a, a former uh, you know, uh, student that we went to school with, he, he just got done with his internship and he was telling me, you know, my training director actually was very shocked that she hasn't gotten as many emails this year. Cause she's used to getting lots of questions and people reaching out to her. Um, and he, he kind of encouraged me to, you know, reach out to her if you have questions, cause she really likes that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of internship site that I want to be at. Um, and it sounds like some of the sites that you apply to Carly might be those types of sites. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We hope that this episode was helpful for you. Laura and I are going to be continuing this mini series as we journey through this process. And so stay tuned for future internship episodes. Yeah, we will be back with more very soon. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcast. It really helps us get the word out there about our podcast and uh, leave us any feedback we would love to hear from you